Welcome to CP's Deep Dive. I'm Colleen Patrick with audio engineer Chris Bayman. I interview authors whose books I have narrated, books written by authors making a positive difference in our world, tackling the tough challenges we face. Today, we're tackling one of the most important issues in American culture, bullying. Whether on school grounds, in the office, in political circles, at home, or on social media, bullying is a prevalent problem that affects each and all of us in one way or another. And most fortunately for you, I am so pleased to be speaking with Laura Martacci, author of Bullying, A Social Destruction of Self. Laura is a sociologist and founder and director of the SARA, SARA Project, that's Students Against Relational Aggression. Most recently, she was a faculty member and an associate dean at Wagner College in New York. In bullying, she has included some of the latest results of studies on bullies and bullying, helping to reform our notions of bullies and bullying, as well as including ways to deal with bullying when we witness it. And while it has information we can all use, it can be pretty academic in its approach. That has not hurt its ratings, I'm happy to say, and I try to make the academic parts as accessible as possible in the narration. There are some heart-wrenching stories included, but be prepared when you listen for a little erudition breaking down the research findings, some of which we'll get to here. Thank you so much for making time for Deep Dive, Laura, and congratulations. Your book has been widely publicized and praised by educators, sociologists, and those who work directly with the issue of bullying, bullies themselves, and targets of bullying. Did I characterize correctly and fairly your book? You did. You did characterize it correctly and fairly. Thank you so much. Sure. What you don't know is that I have had the second workbook that's derived from that book, and it's called My Bullied Past, Why Does It Still Hurt?, I realize that it's not enough to kind of write an academic book that points to and connects the dots. So hopefully we start teaching social aggression on a collegiate level. But to write a workbook that's much accessible and it's really kind of the first self-help book on um, processing what's still going on with you all these years later. As a bully and a target of bullying? As a target. As a target target of bullying because it's those people who are just still really reverberating and, and really kind of, you know, attend and come up and wait to speak with me and, and share these stories as if this was just still happening in their lives. So what do you mean by a social destruction of self? It's a social destruction of self. And I, I use that, um, first of all, it kind of plays on um, the famous sociologist Irving Goffman's um, Berger and Luckman's army, that's the social construction of reality. So you're, we socially construct reality, we construct it through other people, but through other people, ourselves, our self, our core gets destroyed on a social level. So our, it's our social identity that's being destroyed. And that's, that was that uh, the reason for that. But I, I think that that's the real piece that I don't discussed in a lot of conversations about bullying that I'd really like to um, highlight with you and with your listeners is that we need to really start a national conversation on shame. If you think about experiences of bullying, um, you know, bullying is this, let me backtrack, bullying is just this very overused word that is very ill-defined. And scholars finally agreed that there, there must be three points that, that have to be in existence. First of all, there has to be a relationship between 
the bully and the target. Second of all, there has to be an imbalance of power in the relationship. And third of all, the aggression has to take place over time. It has to be continual. I would add to that a fourth element that I think is is usually always present, and that is that somehow you be humiliated or shamed. Because if somebody doesn't, if somehow it doesn't stick, it's just that asshole over there said that. When that person keeps doing that, how pathetic. But when it sticks, when it hurts, when you think that your peers are changing how they look at you, that's really kind of the social destruction of your identity. And I think that because shame is so instrumental in that destruction of self, in that lack of, of um, ability to face, um, we need to have this conversation. Well, what are some of the latest and newest findings about the issue of bullying, causes and effects? Some of the latest causes and effects. You know, you can continue to read um, the studies that keep coming out and, and the various methodologies, and, and there's still no single approach to assessing these core elements, especially the power imbalances. It continues to pose challenges in, in trying to measure the prevalence of bullying or the effectiveness of any prevention program. We also look at the fact that prevention programs are targeting different things. Some are targeting behaviors. Some are supporting the victims. Some are targeting, encouraging bystanders to step up. So there's just no consensus yet on, on anything in the field. There's just continues to be more and more data and more and more people raising their voices. So I, there's nothing definitive that I can, can say to you along those lines. Well, there's plenty of bullying going on. In the media, our president is someone who is name-calling and trying to shame people and humiliate them. And the kids who led the, the gun violence dealing with gun safety have been, I would say, bullied by right-wing media, calling them names. <laughs> uh, one even put a, um, a video on of one of the students that replaced the actual video with something that was completely contrived to make her look as if she's tearing up the Constitution. How can we deal with bullying like that? That's on a grand scale, and it is affecting us all. And cyberbullying poses unique challenges because, you know, it happens in a vacuum. Most people feel that there going to be any repercussions for what they're doing. They're not face-to-face. They're not picking up social cues. Nobody's discouraging this bad behavior. The, the flip side of that is that we are constantly at liberty to reposition on the social media. And clearly this is what was done to this woman. She was repositioned. She was, her, her body was pasted or, or her head was pasted onto this graphic. And um, we need to continue that conversation and continue repasting and re-narrating and repositioning ourselves. That's the first thing. Second of all, with the speed of which social media happens these days, everything gets kind of pulled under in the undertow and start afresh. We really need to know how to deal with it. I, I try to sort of reform the situation, like not take it personally, and to understand where the source is of that bullying. But how do you address it? Like, how do you counter it? Online? Mm-hmm. Anywhere. Well, it presents its own specific uh, subset of um, issues. And it's actually easier on a legal front to deal with online bullying because you have you know, what's happening right there. You can take screenshots. You have uh, still have the memory of these threads and people can take concrete action against something that is that concrete. So that is one recourse that you do have and accounts will shut you down. Schools and local police 
will, you know, issue sanctions and take over the whole thread that's happening. So cyber stalking, cyber bullying has gotten easier. Yeah. So in other words, we need to be aware, we need to take action and we need to counter these bullying messages. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Sure. I mean, if there, there's a thread going on that's nasty, I mean, before it disappears, you can take screenshots. I mean, uh, other formats, you can't delete what's happening. And schools have policies about all of these things. I, I don't know of any school that doesn't have policies about something like this. But local law enforcement have policies as well. Any of the accounts that you have will shut down accounts that are being abusive. So you do have recourse and in terms of cyberbullying. What about things like the president himself just calling people names? He's calling people names to hum- humiliate them, to shame them. It has nothing to do with what they're doing or who they are. So we have an example of an adult calling people names to shame them, humiliate them, to diminish them in the eyes of other people. So how do we deal with that? Well, you know, this is kind of like a a lesson. Uh, I did a a blog post on this right after the election. And it's, you know, it was really to parents. It was solicited by Psychology Today. And the the question was, what what lessons are learned? And first of all, you've got a narcissist running the show right now. And narcissists are often the bullies in, in any walk of life. And how do you negotiate being bullied? First of all, there are laws in place, even though they seem to be being disregarded on very high levels, but there are laws in place. Um, a lot of bullying does resort to um, discrimination uh, rules and important ruling um davis versus monroe county board of education in i believe it was 1999 and so we're, we're playing off of civil rights laws and trying to get a greater inclusion example you know schools might have their hands tied because there are, are protected categories you know you you can't really um disparage uh ethnicity race sexuality um religion so on, but there are no protections against being um, considered a loser or having uh, a, a body size or body shape that doesn't fall into normative practices. So it's we're expanding the laws that are already on the books, but it's very hard because bullying um, bullying is different in different situations and in different circumstances. And, and what I mean by that is you can be a marginally popular person, but if you find yourself in the company of a crowd you don't usually hang out with, you might feel the odd person out. You might feel like you're being marginalized. But in another situation, you find you're a bystander to other things that happen. And yet in another situation, your behavior might be construed as bullying by other people. So it's very difficult to get something concrete on the books uh, to deal with something that just morphs all the time. That's exactly right, because it does seem to be morphing all the time. I guess what I'm asking is, how can we empower ourselves to, first of all, not take any of that personally, and secondly, to counteract it? I think to counteract it, and I I hate to be, you know, beating a dead horse here, but we really need to be able to kind of walk through this shame. Um, Burying it just stockpiles it in our bodies, and our, our president is abusive, I'll take the high road. And it's not just about taking the high road. It's, you know, facing that that horrible thing that was said to you and, and looking at yourself and saying, what part of that am I embarrassed about? And embarrassment is, is 
exceptional. So you want to you want to separate the shame, which is the whole person you are that the kind of person that would do X versus I'm a great person and I just happen to do X and maybe that's not the best thing to have done or the wrong clothes. Maybe I gained weight. Maybe I you know looked at someone the wrong way. Fill in the blank. But to move that whole sense of whatever you're being bullied about away from your whole identity into a behavior and say, what about that? What about that? Can I own? What about that is true? And what do I have to just be okay about that? That, that is who I am. That's, that's part of who I am. I, I'm wearing braces right now. That That's a fact or whatever it is. We have to have this conversation or else, you know, you're throwing missiles at people and they have no defenses. And, the def- you know, you have to be able to negotiate this. What can we do for people we know are being, being bullied? Well, I think there are different answers. You know, educators, have started listing things for teachers to do. They've identified the hotspots in their schools. They've um, trained personnel in remediation. They try to foster pride in their school. And one of the things that it's coming out increasingly um, of value is that schools include parents in these conversations, that they, they teach parents the kind of coping skills that they're trying to teach teachers and children. They give them communication practices. I think if you're a bystander to bullying, there are, are if, if you're a bystander, <clears throat> you know, it's so easy to make eye contact and roll your eyes in the direction of a bully and just walk away. It's easy to sigh or just divert what's going on, you know, with us. But yeah, 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 yeah. Right. He's a blah, blah, blah. Now, can we just go, you know, get pizza or go skateboard, you know, divert what's happening, make contact with the, either at that time or at a later time. And, um, yeah, I think those are the two most important things that we can do. And in your book, you also say that it helps if you just stand next to someone who is being bullied so that they, they don't feel that they're all alone. There are, there are two ways to look at this. And one way says if you, if you walk, other people aren't being privy to your shaming and your humiliation. And if there isn't a crowd there, then there isn't this kind of public humiliation. It's not possible. Another thing, another way of stand strong, but the target or the victim has to understand that you're standing with them. I think one of the important things to do, and if you've ever stood around watching any kind of spectacle, other people, you know, bystanders ought to be making eye contact with each other, and they don't, because bystanders can support other bystanders. I I mean, if you notice this, um, there's this TV show, um, What Would You Do? Yes, bystanders are just waiting for someone to step up that they can get behind. And almost any time a bystander takes an action, they're supported by other bystanders. So, you know, let the people around you know that this is making you uneasy too. Um, And I think we need to advocate more of that. So how do we deal with the bully himself or herself as a bully? So, for example, we might have a friend who we see is bullying someone. How do we deal with that person? And also I found this really interesting in your book, Bullying, the Social Destruction of Self, particularly enlightening the motivations for bullying. I've recently been working on a comprehensive social-emotional learning project. We've been digitizing it for use in schools in New York City the more it seems to me that there's just not one motivation for bullying. We are all of us insecure or at, you know, having a voice and drawing boundaries for ourselves, of not shooting ourselves in the foot, of, of doing certain social things. And we don't teach, you know, these kind of basic social and emotional learning skills 
I mean, we, we tend to learn them when we graduate college and, and decide to go into therapy to get some psych 101. And, you know, I don't really understand that schools have all these levels of mathematics and, and that are required, but yet no basic social emotional skills are, are ever kind of offered to students. And I think that um, a real response to bullying with schools might be not shame, shame, shame on you, or don't bully, or don't really engage in this kind of behavior, but let's put the focus back on you, and let's let you look at yourself and understand how you tick and why you tick the way you tick, and these kind of things. So tell us a little bit more about that. If you're someone that other people perceive as aggressive, you could be doing that for a a whole variety of reasons. I mean, the most obvious is that this has been modeled to you, that you've been bullied in the home or that you were bullied in preschool. So that's the the common stereotype is the, the bully that was a victim. But there are many other ways that we can be perceived as assertive by other people. We, in fact, are just kind of trying to really establish that this is where my boundaries are and I don't want to be um, them to be overstepped or I don't really know how to make friends other than to dominate because this is the dynamic I see modeling to me. We're not teaching bullies that the world operates um, in other ways and, and that there are other psychological dynamics that might be going on with them. Aren't they pretty injured? It seemed to me like in your book you said something about uh, many bullies are actually injured in an emotional way. Not necessarily bullied themselves, but something's going on with them that they're emotionally injured and they're taking it out on other people or they're trying to hide that emotional insecurity or that pain from other people by trying to overpower and to push people away, essentially. Right. Saying by looking at basic, you know, your kind of what's happening with you. Do you overcompensate? Do you dominate? Do you um, not know how to draw boundaries because you've been in some way abused and so you draw them too strongly or you allow yourself to be victimized? There's just so many um, permutations of whys in terms of bullying and behaviors that it seems to me a comprehensive approach is really what's needed by the schools. I'm happy to say that, you know, social emotional learning is really becoming a buzzword in education right now. And I think with the awareness raising campaigns that are going on and, you know, this kind of walkout of schools has been so important because it's really letting students know power is in their hands. And more than anything else, I mean, it's important in terms of gun control. But let's face it, you know, once you're outside of the classroom, and and you could even be a college student or a graduate student, once you're out of that classroom, you can't read the nuances. We can, you know, be as informative as we can about stereotypes and what to look for. But the kids who are sitting in a classroom with those other kids have a sense of the kids who might be disturbed on a deeper level, might be being affected by all of this on a deeper level. I mean, Catherine Newman, I I mean, well over a decade ago in her book Rampage, really talks a lot of the the victims who who turn violent 
are kids who are desperately trying to fit in. So you're not going to be able to pick them out as loners or, or any other stereotype you want to put on them. But the, but the kids know. Kids know. They know the nuances the way we all know the nuances of the circles of people that we um, associate with. And it, it really becomes a kind of sea change in the culture. You know, these kind of movements, because we live in a different kind of culture now, of if you see something, say something, are, is really positive because it's telling uh, people that the cultural mandate of mind your own business, what's happening around us is our business. And when you, when you understand that someone is really being hurt by behaviors that might not hurt you or might not hurt other people, or they're really being kind of marginalized, you, you sense, you sense what's happening with them, say something. There are all kinds of anonymous ways to report things. Um, and teachers are being trained in ways that we're not going to all of a sudden stand in front of the classroom and talk about an incident yesterday so that everybody knows who's the players and they start thinking, okay, who's the, who squealed? Um, so, yeah, this is where I think students can really, really take power. And, you know, if it comes the students in the classroom, and if it's uninitiated by adults, every study has said that it's just that much more powerful. So the students being aware, taking action, see something, say something, mm-hmm. and essentially being aware of when somebody needs help. Being aware. One of the, the things that is most important is we have to talk about empathy. Empathy. Capacity for empathy. And is that something that can be taught? I mean, is, are there people who absolutely lack empathy, or is that something that can be engendered in them? Okay, that's, I would really like to, to speak to that for a minute, because if you think about um, empathy, you have to think about mirror neurons and how our brain works. And uh, mirroring means that somehow my brain does the same thing that I see you doing or I see you feeling. Somehow it mirrors that. And and there's all kinds of debates about whether that is just mimicry or it's simulation um, and so forth and so on. But what's really important is that if all the, the targets or the victims are being told to be stoic and to just take it, if you don't see someone is hurt, you can't empathize with them. You know, I think about these commercials that I see all the time with animals in cages that bring people to tears. I mean, we, we feel this outpouring because we see pain. And we, we, you know, just imagine all of those animals being told what we have been telling our young people, either implicitly, which is to kind of buck up, take it, don't let them see you cry. So who's going to, you know, which is not saying, okay, just let the waterworks turn on, but Think about the fact that if we don't allow people their pain. So, in other words, if you're feeling something, show it. If you're feeling something, yeah, you, exactly. If people can't see that it hurts you, they can't empathize with you. Yeah, so the old buck up, don't say anything, look at and just keep moving on, doesn't really work to let people know that something bad is going on. Is that what I'm hearing you say? We're kind of in this no-win situation because you don't want to be a crybaby. You don't want to be a loser and let it bother you. But on the other hand, if people don't know that it's bothering you, what are you going to do? What would happen if somebody said, what you just said hurt my feelings. Why are you doing that? Why are you saying that to me? I haven't done anything to you. I don't care what you wear. The response is so. If you just turn that around, that way is a matter-of-fact statement. 
people are kind of startled, you know, and they'll make, you know, um, sarcastic comments or taunt you, but it really kind of pushes them off balance. Social pain is very real. As a matter of fact, neurologically, social pain lights up the same pain centers of the brain as does physical pain. And, you know, this is coming out again and again and again. So emotional pain shows up in brain scans the same Mm -hmm. way that physical pain does. Sure does. It sure does. CNN recently did something on it. And, you know, yes, if your kid has been bullied at school and comes home and feels terrible, you can give them Tylenol. But know that that helps deaden their pleasure sensors. But that's one of the ways that they're actually corroborating this connection. There was always a physical and an emotional component to pain, even very traditional, you know, I sawed my arm off pain. Um, And one one of the things that really kind of mitigates pain Social pain or physical pain is, number one, attention that's given over to it, and number two, the expectations that are associated with it. So in other words, ignoring the pain, essentially, ignoring certain pain, you can push through it, and that's a good thing. It is a good thing. Um, Some of the times. You know, other times when you push through it and you don't put attention to it, you actually aggravate whatever is injured. Attention to pain and the expectations that we have around the pain both influence whether it be social pain or physical pain i'm not necessarily saying they're bad or they're good i'm saying it's really important that we realize that attention to the pain and our expectations around the pain are going to influence the pain so for example i think that people should be able to just buck up and take it then who's going to have empathy for this person because the expectation is that you're supposed to be able to deal with it like everybody else. So if we start changing cultural expectations about um, pain and we start changing people's perception of what's hurting them, um, aren't stoic anymore, um, and we put attention on that pain, we don't just shove it under the carpet and, and ignore it, then it's going to be positioned in our social discourse in a different way. And pointing out, uh, it's, it's. I guess I'm saying, I'm hearing, you know, the, the name calling and all that sort of thing. It's not enough just to point out that they're name calling or what the names are, but to say those are diminishing terms. Those are terms meant to humiliate, they're meant to shame, and they're meant to diminish the individual instead of just repeating the name uh, and saying that's that's bad. Boys, for example, like to call each other fags. I, I mean, this word really makes me a little crazy, but you know, that's a that's a word that's out there all the time. And the expectation is, if you're a young man, that you have to live this down and somehow prove your masculinity, as opposed to um, calling attention to, you know, why would you say that to me? You know, I have no problem with other people's sexuality. I don't know why you would have a problem if that's what you're trying to say to me. It's just kind of give it back to them. If we start putting a little more attention to it, and if we change our expectations around it. And also what you were talking about in in terms of mirroring. Mm -hmm. So I'm just giving you back what you told me, and I need for you to explain what you mean, because I don't perceive the word the way you do, and I don't have a problem with my sexuality. So what are you saying? Exactly. Perfect. What do you think the most important effect all this bullying has had on our society and our culture in America? But one of the real meta-narratives of, of the book I wrote um, really talks about the, the cultural shift from a religious culture to a secular culture. 
But the real difference that I identify is that we don't have the possibility for redemption in this culture. All right. So let's say that enough people who are bullied, like I say, you know, it hits home on a certain level in a certain place. And you want to not say, okay, I am a loser, but I did X and that was not optimal. How can I atone? How can I be let back into the tribe? Because belonging, belonging is a kind of fundamental need. It's, you know, this kind of evolutionary studies and it's as fundamental as food and water. The tribe was the human survival mechanism. That's, you know, if you, you stayed together and if you were shamed or being pushed out of the tribe, this was as threatening to you. This is threatening to your physical well-being. So let's let's bring this full circle about what you've been saying. You say that the drive is to belong and to fit in, and the bully thinks that he or she can do this by pushing other people around, by overpowering them, by name-calling, whatever sort of bullying they do. And it's all to belong in a way that they feel that they belong in the what you would call a tribe. Right. So we have to address that, to mirror that, give it back to them and say, you know what? We don't think you belong in our tribe if you are going to bully and treat people this way. How does that sound? That sounds good. Um, but I, that, now I'm going to take that one step further and say, first of all, um, it's not nothing is ever that black and white, especially when dealing with bullying. Gaming and I, I'm on my kind of soapbox and say we really need to talk about this whole social dynamic. But shaming is really... You know, parents do it all the time. It is a, a, a very normalized dynamic. It's how we pull people back in line. You know, it's it's up to this point, it's been used to pull politicians back in line. Uh, it's it's just what we do to kind of say these are our boundaries, and if you act outside these, you need to go find yourself a different tribe. So it's not all bad. You know, but it just there's a certain level at which it becomes intolerant and toxic. I, I see. So the next step is that you just don't belong. It's that this is what you need to do to belong. If you want to belong with us, that's fine. Yeah. But we need you to do this and this, and we need you not to do that and that yep. in order to belong to our tribe. Otherwise, you're welcome. Right. How smart am I? <laughs> I read Laura Martacci's book. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Laura Matachi, author of Bullying, The Social Deconstruction of Self. Thanks for joining us for CP's Deep Dive. You are making a difference. Join us for our next CP's Deep Dive when I'll be speaking with another author of a nonfiction book I've narrated who is also making a difference. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Colleen Patrick with audio engineer Chris Bayman. Chris also composed and performs our theme song. We record at Bayman Studio. To contact us, Chris is at BaymanStudio.com. I'm at ColleenPatrick.com. Let's make a difference.